an indictment was unsealed, charging Donald J. Trump with felony violations of our national security laws, as well as participating in a conspiracy to obstruct justice. So many rats, Donald. They're everywhere. So many people turning on you after all you've done for them. Stabbed you in the back. So many people lying to your face and making deals with Jack Smith. Everyone. Benny Willis, Alvin Bragg. Using you. You made them all so much money. So generous. Made their careers. You gave them their dreams. Now they're after you. They took yours. Cooperating with Jack Smith. They never cared. It's hard to know who to trust. Snitches. They're all watching. You can't trust anyone. Listening. Even your family. Recording you. Everything you say. Spying on you. Everywhere you go. It's bad, Donald. All the time. It's just you. Betraying you. And the rats. Horrible jump ship. So... Many. It's just you, rats. <laughs> Lincoln Project is having a very good day today, it seems to me. <laughs> well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Well, I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Yes, it's another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Another busy day. With a ton of breaking news. Hello, Desi Doyen. Hey. Uh, over the uh, over the past several weeks, due largely to the horrific Israel-Hamas war and the ongoing idiocy in the U.S. House, both of which sadly continue today, we have been uh, we've been sort of drawn away from. Uh, from a focus on the continuing quest for accountability against one of, if not the greatest threats really ever facing our nation specifically and life on planet Earth overall. Is that an overstatement, Desi Doyen? Actually, no. I don't think so. Anyway, uh, but not today, Satan. We uh, <laughs> down in uh, down in Georgia. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis is rolling them up. Not uh, now. Try not to be too saddened here by the crocodile tears from Trump attorney and opportunistically occasional Christian 
Jenna Ellis, as she became Trump's fourth co-defendant and third Trump lawyer to plead guilty in the sweeping racketeering indictment over the former president's failed scheme to steal the Peach State's 2020 presidential election. And uh, and as she appeared to toss Trump attorneys who haven't even pleaded guilty yet. Hi, Rudy Giuliani, under the bus. Thank you, Your Honor, for the opportunity to address the court. As an attorney who is also a Christian, I take my responsibilities as a lawyer very seriously, and I endeavor to be a person of sound moral and ethical character in all of my dealings. In the wake of the 2020 presidential election, I believed that challenging the results on behalf of President Trump should be pursued in a just and legal way. I endeavored to represent my client to the best of my ability. I relied on others, including lawyers with many more years of experience than I, to provide me with true and reliable information, mm -hmm. especially since my role involved speaking to the media and to legislators in various states. What I did not do, but should have done, Your Honor, was to make sure that the facts the other lawyers alleged to be true were in fact true. In the frenetic pace of attempting to raise challenges to the election in several states, including Georgia, I failed to do my due diligence. I believe in and I value election integrity. If I knew then what I know now, I would have declined to represent Donald Trump mm. in these post-election challenges. <laughs> yeah. I look back on this whole experience with deep remorse. For those failures of mine, Your Honor, I have taken responsibility already before the Colorado Bar who censured me, and I now take responsibility before this court and apologize to the people of Georgia. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, very sad, isn't it? It's well, so at least sad. she had the decency to express some remorse, unlike Sidney Powell and uh, Kenneth Chesbrough. Cheesebrough. Mm, okay, well, you're you're giving her a lot of credit. A I little, would say more credit bit of than credit. it's due, frankly. Attorney and prominent right-wing Republican MAGA media figure Jenna Ellis pleaded guilty on Tuesday to a felony charge over her failed efforts to help Donald Trump steal the 2020 election in Georgia, tearfully telling the judge... She looks back on that time with, quote, deep remorse. But does she really? Ellis uh, was a very vocal part of Trump's re-election campaign in the last presidential cycle. Among other things, she attended the December 3, 2020 Georgia Senate hearing, sitting next to Rudy Giuliani when uh, Trump's allies claimed voter fraud handed the election to Biden in the Peach State. Ellis also authored several memos sent to Trump and others stating that Vice President Pence, Mike Pence, should simply ignore electoral college votes from certain battleground states, including Georgia. Just ignore the votes. Just ignore the millions of voters yeah, I don't feel that sorry for her. She was originally charged with the uh, felony crimes of violating Georgia's Racketeering Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, known as RICO, and uh, soliciting the violation of oath by a public officer related to the fake electors plot, along with Rudy Giuliani, who you heard, as I noted, being run over a bus there by uh, by Ellis uh, in, in her remarks in the Fulton County courtroom on Tuesday. Uh, along with that, she was one of the most vocal advocates for the Trump campaign's efforts to steal the election, appearing frequently on television and right wing media to tell lies about widespread fraud 
that did not occur and to spread disinformation and conspiracy theories at least before her guilty plea on Tuesday. This is an elite strike force team that is working on behalf of the president and the campaign to make sure that our constitution is protected. We are a nation of rules. All of your fake news headlines are dancing around the merits of this case and are trying to delegitimize what we are doing here. Let me be very clear that our objective is to make sure to preserve and protect election integrity. What is the mm -hmm. point of all this? <laughs> well, the point of this, of course, is to get to fair and accurate results because the election was stolen and President Trump won by a landslide. We know already that the election results in at least five of the swing states were irredeemably compromised. So we already have sufficient evidence for these states to decertify their electoral uh, results. Your question is fundamentally flawed when you're asking where is the evidence. You clearly don't understand the legal process. What we have asked for in the court is to not have the certification of false results. What I did not do, but should have done, Your Honor, was to make sure that the facts the other lawyers alleged to be true were in fact true. I failed to do my due diligence. Mm. I believe in and I value election integrity. Mm. If I knew then what I know now, I would have declined to represent Donald Trump in these post-election challenges. Yeah. I'll bet she would. Sure she would have. <laughs> Ellis pleaded guilty on Tuesday to one felony count of aiding and abetting false statements and writings. She was originally charged alongside the Republican former president and 17 others, uh, one of whom, Ken Chesbro, is actually his name is Ken Chesbro. We now know it's Ken Chesbro because uh, he said it when he pled guilty himself to a single felony charge in Georgia on Friday. He was another Trump attorney regarded as one of the architects of the plot to create fake electors in several swing states in order to manufacture a controversy over who the rightful electors were. You know, the ones elected by the actual American people when Congress met to certify the 2020 presidential election on January 6, 2021. The indictment in the sweeping Georgia case details a number of accusations against Ellis, including that she helped author plans on how to disrupt and uh, delay congressional certification of the 2020 election results on January 6, the day the MAGA mob overran the U.S. Capitol. She is also accused of urging state legislators to unlawfully appoint a set of presidential electors loyal to Trump at a hearing in Pennsylvania. And she later appeared with some of those lawmakers and Trump at a meeting on the topic uh, at, at the White House. That was, I believe, the uh, notorious December 18, 2020 meeting when instead of using an executive order to have the military seize the nation's voting machines, to try to steal the election while well, the attendees decided to breach various voting systems in several states, including in Coffee County, Georgia, for which Trump lawyer Sidney Powell and Atlanta bail bondsman Scott Hall were previously allowed to plead guilty to misdemeanor charges. The indictment, uh, the original indictment, further says Ellis similarly pushed state lawmakers to back false pro-Trump electors in Georgia as well as Arizona and Michigan. Prosecutor 
Dacia Young said in Georgia court on Tuesday that Ellis attended a December 2020 meeting of Georgia state senators with Giuliani and Georgia-based attorney Ray Smith. Those two still face felony counts, 13 for Giuliani, 12 for Smith. Ellis, quote, intentionally aided and abetted the two as they made false statements to the lawmakers, including that more than 2,500 people in Georgia convicted of felonies, more than 66,000 people who were under 18, and more than 10,000 dead people voted in the 2020 election in Georgia. According to the prosecutor, that's what Ellis said. None of it, none of it was true. Before her plea, Ellis, posting in August uh, on, on Twitter, said, quote, The Democrats and the Fulton County D.A. are criminalizing the practice of law. I am resolved to trust the Lord. Hmm. Which Lord is she talking about there? In early September, when she was asked on Twitter, uh, quote, why aren't you ashamed for being indicted? Ellis replied, quote, I'm innocent. Why would I be ashamed of that? That was September, early September. In mid-September, just just over a month ago, she boasted, quote, over $200,000 raised for my defense fund. Thank you to everyone who is helping me fight a weaponized government and the criminalization of the practice of law. Today, Ron Filipkowski of Midas Touch, he's a former uh, Republican prosecutor, by the way, he tweeted, quote, when all you MAGA people were sending $217,000 to Jenna so she could fight Fonnie Willis, did you know she was going to enter a quick guilty plea, blame Rudy, agree to testify against others, and say that she wishes she never got involved? Keep sending these grifters your money, rubes says Filipkowski. Well, he's got a point. Now, for what it's worth, even Jenna Ellis, before she decided to be in favor of Donald Trump, well, she used to be against him. Back in March of 2016, before she got on the Trump money and power and eventually guilty plea train, she tweeted, quote, I could spend a full-time job just responding to the ridiculously illogical, inconsistent, and blatantly stupid arguments supporting Trump. But here's the thing. His supporters don't care about facts or logic, she wrote. They aren't seeking truth. Trump probably could shoot someone in the middle of New York City and not lose support. And this is the cumulative reason why this nation is in such terrible shape. We don't have truth seekers. We have narcissists. We also have apparently conditionally Christian opportunists and hypocrites and Jenna Ellis is one of them. Oh, definitely. She seems like a very public, very occasional Christian. She's not stupid. She she knows what's going on. So, you know, for so for her to say on Tuesday, well, we if I knew then what I know now. Well, when did she learn this? Apparently within the past four weeks, because, you know, four weeks ago she was out there saying that, oh, this is the weaponization of, of the prosecution or whatever nonsense. But she's not stupid. She knew better. She knew better in 2016. So you'll forgive me if I'm not all that moved by her crocodile tears. She was sentenced on Tuesday to five years of 
probation, along with $5,000 in restitution, 100 hours of community service, writing an apology letter to the people of Georgia, sharing records with prosecutors, which could be valuable, and testifying truthfully against her fellow co-defendants in trials related to this case, which... Well, should also be helpful. The early pleas and the favorable punishment, probation in this case, rather than prison, which has been the case so far for all four defendants who have agreed to cop a plea and cooperate with the prosecutors. These early pleas and the favorable punishment they are getting could foreshadow, according to AP, similar outcomes for additional defendants who may see an admission of guilt and cooperation as their best hope for leniency. More on that in a moment. But as of Tuesday, as we go to air, and it could change at any minute, four now, four of uh, 19 originally charged have pleaded guilty in this case in Georgia. Sidney Powell was allowed to plead guilty to six misdemeanors and was sentenced to serve six years of probation. Chesbro, did I mention that we know how to say his name now because he <laughs> said it at his own uh, uh, yes. guilty hearing? Yes, although Chesbro. I still want to call him Cheesebro. You, you go right ahead and I do will. that. All right. So uh, the Cheese pleaded guilty to one felony, a felony, at least he got a felony, and was ordered to serve five years of probation. Bail bondsman Scott Hall pleaded guilty to five misdemeanor charges. He got five years of probation. In his case, they'll be uh, served all at once. So really, he just got one year of probation. All of them were ordered to write an apology letter to the people of Georgia and to test, uh, testify truthfully in any other trial in the case. Ellis and the other three pleaded guilty under Georgia's first offender law, which means this is their first offense. And so if they complete their probation without violating the terms or committing another crime, their records will be wiped clean. Now, I don't mean to question D.A. Fonnie Willis here. She has been fearless and meticulous in bringing these indictments including 41 felony charges overall. And I will assume that she knows what she is doing, allowing these folks off really easy in exchange for whatever testimony or help on the case that she feels that they can provide. She obviously knows far more about all of this than I do. So I am not, at least not yet, Questioning uh, these uh, these these plea deals and these light the sentences, easy yeah, the easy penalties for these people uh, who have pleaded guilty so far uh, that you know they seem to be getting away with. Well, but we I, should add yeah. one more thing yeah. though that Jenna Ellis is not getting off completely free. Remember, she did get COVID from Rudy Giuliani, and he <laughs> farted on her. Well, there's that. So there's that. That's worth a couple of years in jail right there. <laughs> So uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm not I'm not complaining yet, but I am mentioning it as something to keep our eyes on moving forward. I know that uh, you know when Scott Hall, when uh, Powell, when Chesbro, when they you know pleaded guilty, and in, and in, indeed with Ellis, they have a lot of information. They know a lot of stuff. So um, I do understand that it does seem like they could get 
a little bit stiffer penalties, but we will see as we move forward. I'll yeah, also as note, a disincentive. I'm also going to uh, mention this just by way of tossing it out there that, you know, folks like Powell and Chesbro are also named currently as unindicted co-conspirators in special counsel Jack Smith's federal charges against Trump surrounding January 6 and his attempt to steal the 2020 election on the federal level. So those unindicted co-conspirators in the federal case could still be charged in that case eventually. And the information that they do have to supply now to Willis in Atlanta can be used against them at the federal level, as I understand it. So Jack Smith might not let them off quite as easy, but we will see. I'm just tossing that out there before we see folks like Mark Meadows and or Giuliani deciding that they might be wise to try and cop a plea in the Georgia case as well before it gets too late for them. Okay, uh, speaking of that federal case against Trump, we've got some news on that as well today. You may be familiar with the old... uh, the old stock argument of, of attorneys, uh, when, when you have the facts on your side, pound the facts. When you have the law on your side, pound the law. And when you have neither, pound the table. <laughs> well, as uh, TPM's David Kurtz notes today, late last night, just before the deadline to do so, Donald Trump's attorney did a lot of table pounding. They filed a big batch of motions at the last minute in the January 6th federal case against him at the deadline for pleadings, uh, basically you know, pre-trial pleadings, to have, the, uh, to have the case dismissed, launching a broad legal challenge to the indictment that accuses Donald Trump of conspiring to steal the 2020 election. Kurtz groups the four newly filed motions into two broad categories— semi-plausible legal arguments and over-the-top playing to the crowd, adding, to be clear, all of them are bombastic filings, but the first category is broadly what you might expect to see filed, whereas the second category is more uniquely Trumpian. So the first category includes a motion to dismiss the case based on statutory grounds, and a motion to dismiss the case based on constitutional grounds. Those might be the motions that any attorney would uh, file in a case like this. The second Trumpian category includes a motion to dismiss the case for selective and vindictive prosecution. They're targeting Donald Trump and a motion to strike inflammatory allegations from the indictment. As a general matter, he argues, none of them are especially strong motions. They are filed in addition to Trump's previously pending motion to dismiss the case on the grounds of absolute presidential immunity. Uh, That's because he was serving as president when he tried to steal the election, and that somehow makes him immune to prosecution. Because whatever he did, he was doing it in his role as president, even though the president plays absolutely no constitutional role in administrating presidential elections, which is on purpose to prevent exactly what Trump tried to do in 2020. 
But as Kurtz notes, keep in mind that Trump doesn't need all of these defenses to stick. He just needs one or two substantive arguments for appeals courts to hang their hats on. Now, I will point out that in this case, the appeals court is the D.C. Court of Appeals. It's a real court, unlike, say, the far-right loose cannon Fifth Court of Appeals, which oversees cases down in Texas and Louisiana. And is constantly overturned by the Supreme Court. But the, uh, but the appeals court ultimately includes, in this case, Trump's stolen and packed U.S. Supreme Court as well, as any of these cases are going to make their way up to the Supreme Court. So you never know. Now, Politico writes about uh, these filings that uh, combined with the earlier motion to dismiss, citing his immunity from prosecution for his conduct as president. Uh, These filings represent Trump's full strategy for preventing the case against him from ever reaching a jury. New York Times says uh, that Trump has now put on the table all of his attempts to have the election case dismissed before it goes to trial in March. Yes, It's going to happen in March at the current schedule. Washington Post says in court filings that landed moments before a midnight deadline, lawyers for Trump claimed he was a victim of political persecution by the Biden administration. They called the charges against Trump legally defective and vague and said the indictment should not link him to the violence of the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol because he is not charged with inciting that riot. Former U.S. Attorney Barb McQuaid says, uh, quote, Trump's new motion to dismiss on First Amendment selective prosecution and double jeopardy grounds are all losers. Now, it's our friend uh, Marcy Wheeler, however, who, who may be most helpful and to the point in explaining in explaining this this uh, shower of pleadings just before midnight. In a short piece, she headlines today, Trump's motion to dismiss things that aren't the charges against him. She uh, helpfully categorizes each of the motions this way. OK, so the uh, motion to dismiss due to absolute immunity Uh, She characterizes the argument from uh, Team Trump as, quote, you can't prosecute me. I'm the former president. I have absolute immunity. The motion to dismiss on a constitutional basis, the argument there is, quote, you can't prosecute me for lying. They're claiming the First Amendment allowed him to say whatever he wanted, which is not actually the case if what you are saying is, I got a gun. Give me all the money in the bank, for example. That would not be uh, you don't have a First Amendment right to say that. Not not at a bank to a bank teller in any event. Uh, The motion to dismiss on statutory grounds. Trump's argument is you can't prosecute me. No one in government actually believed my lies. So, you know, nobody listened to me. I didn't, (laughs) you know, I didn't do anything wrong. I tried. But anyway. A motion to strike inflammatory allegations she categorizes as you can't talk about the way I mobilized a violent mob because you didn't charge me for mobilizing a violent mob. Another statutory objection in in the motion to dismiss she categorizes as, quote, since I don't have anything to do with that violent mob that obstructed the vote certification, you can't charge me for obstructing the vote certification. And finally, The motion to dismiss for selective and vindictive prosecution, she categorizes as sure, 
You've prosecuted over 300 people for some of these crimes, but prosecuting me, too, is selective prosecution because Hunter Biden. <laughs> now, the motion to dismiss for selective and vindictive prosecution, uh, Marcy writes, is uh, mostly a political document. It points to the scant evidence that Joe Biden was somehow behind this prosecution, claiming that this indictment was retaliation for Trump's complaints about his stolen document indictment down in Florida. He cites his own attacks on Hunter Biden, including one, however, that is actually after he was indicted in this case. This case was charged on August 1, and Marcy lists uh, a, a memo included in the uh, defense documents here, a memo from August 9th that is cited by Trump as one of the reasons that Jack Smith charged him on August 1st. Oh, details, shmeetails. Yeah, that sort of thing. Uh, so she notes uh, this ploy is interesting given the likelihood that Hunter Biden will actually file a parallel selective prosecution motion himself. And, of course, Biden actually, Hunter Biden actually has an argument to make that he is being selectively prosecuted for stuff that he would almost certainly never have been charged with had he not been the president's son, as targeted by Trump himself for prosecution by a Trump-appointed U.S. attorney specifically. So that will be interesting. All of this on uh, Tuesday, as Trump was in New York State Court in Manhattan, where his entire family business empire is currently on the line after decades of fraudulent claims made by him and his company, and his two eldest uh, sons to receive favorable bank tax and insurance terms by lying about the value of his properties. Uh, in uh, This is the case filed by uh, State Attorney General, New York State Attorney General Letitia James, uh, and for which he has already been found guilty by the judge who is hearing the uh, key civil charges against him. He's, he's been found guilty for the main fraud charges, and then there are some other uh, matters to be uh, determined at trial. There is no jury. It's just the same judge who has already found him guilty uh, for uh, decades of fraud, and then they'll have to figure out what the full penalty is. But on Tuesday, it was a big day in that courtroom with the man arguably responsible for this case happening at all in New York, that would be Trump's former attorney and fixer-turned-foe, Michael Cohen, uh, who testified after uh, he initially turned on Trump, after Trump had turned on him, in order to reveal that the uh, Trump organization for years had been falsely and wildly inflating the value of its properties. So on Tuesday... Michael Cohn testified under oath in the courtroom where Donald Trump decided to show up today and I guess try to uh, stare him down with his <laughs> evil eye rays or something. I to, believe uh, that was undercut the idea. Him. Yeah. So he testified, uh, Cohn did, under oath that he uh, today that he worked to boost the supposed value of the former president's assets himself to, quote, whatever number Trump told us to. 
Quote, I was tasked by Mr. Trump to increase the total assets based upon a number that he arbitrarily elected, Cohn testified. Asked what that number was, Cohn replied, whatever number Trump told us to. Which actually sounds wildly plausible. Trump denies James's allegations as he uh, dismissed Cohn's uh, testimony uh, to dismissed his account outside of the court uh, as the words of a, quote, proven liar who served prison time after pleading guilty to tax evasion, lying to Congress and campaign fi uh, finance violations, all of which is, is true. But what I guess Trump forgot to mention is that, for example, those campaign finance violations and his lies to Congress were actually in service to Donald Trump when he was still on his good side in hopes of hiding Trump's hush money payments to porn star Stormy Daniel just before the 26th election in order to help him win that year. Trump, by the way, subsequently paid Cohen back for those uh, payoffs while he was serving as president of the United States, which is part of what Donald Trump is charged for in New York in uh, the criminal case that he is also facing there, uh, filed by Manhattan prosecutor Alvin Bragg. Cohen on Tuesday insisted outside the court to, quote, this is not about Donald Trump versus Michael Cohen or Michael Cohen versus Donald Trump. This is about accountability, plain and simple. Earlier this month, Trump, Trump dropped, dropped a $500 million lawsuit against Cohen. That would be a half a billion dollars against Cohen. He dropped that case, uh, accusing Cohen of spreading falsehoods, causing vast reputational harm, and, uh, and breaking a confidentiality agreement for talking publicly about the hush money payments. Trump dropped that case the day before Trump was scheduled to sit for a deposition in it. I'm sure that's just completely coincidental timing. Well, it was really it was mostly just a uh, inconvenience. Uh, Trump spokesman does say that the former president was only pausing the lawsuit because he was busy campaigning and fighting for criminal cases and that he would refile it later. Sure, he will. Trump's attorneys, by the way, according to AP, had sought to delay the trial on Tuesday. They argued that a rash of coronavirus cases in uh, the attorney general's office had put the former president's health at risk. <laughs> Don't laugh. Trump, uh, Trump's lawyer, Chris Keis, said it was, quote, frankly, irresponsible not to postpone the proceeding. Another attorney, Alina Haba, objected to sharing a, quote, contaminated microphone with members of the attorney general's office. James's office in a statement, said that it had taken all steps to notify the relevant parties and had followed health guidance, adding that defense lawyers could wear masks if they were concerned. Do you think they did? No. Trump and the attorneys at the defense table with him did not don masks. So I guess they weren't all that worried about it, were they? All right, I got uh, I got one more Trump-related uh, legal matter to get to today. One, in fact, that could pretty much upend everything that we know to date, depending on which direction it goes. But let's take a quick break here, and we will come back with both that and with the latest on the dumb, ridiculous, embarrassing, and apparently 
still failing attempt by Republicans in the House to elect a speaker to, you know, open up Congress after they shut it down by moving to remove their previous speaker of the House and then failing to elect a new one in the more than three weeks since then. That and Green News Report are all still ahead on today's very Trumpy broadcast. Sorry, not sorry about that. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. I've got a feeling, a feeling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I still do. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. I've got a feeling, a feeling I can't hide. Oh, no. No, I can't. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, you know, it's that feeling of mine, that spidey (laughs) sense that I keep talking about, even while everyone assumes Donald Trump is going to be your... Nominee on the ballot this November. I'm not so sure. We'll get to that in a second. Anyway, um, the uh, the dumb Republican attempt in the GOP House to elect a new speaker after they decided to fire the old one, Kevin McCarthy, uh, after he, for, don't forget, needed 15 rounds of voting to be elected in the first place last January. Well, the attempt to find a new speaker, that continued on Tuesday following a private candidates forum on Monday night with nine, initially nine candidates, though one dropped out, I think, on Monday night. And then a private closed-door conference was held on Tuesday after two of the eight remaining candidates actually dropped out. And so they held five rounds of voting as in one round after another after another, they eventually whittled down the field of eight candidates, uh, tossing out the lowest vote getter getter each time in order to then hold the next round of voting. They went from eight candidates down to just one. That would be Majority Whip Tom Emmer of Minnesota. He was nominated by the Republican caucus as their new speaker-designate. That, after their previous speaker-designees, Steve Scalise and Joe Jordan, were both unable to get enough support from their own party to become the actual Speaker of the House in a floor vote. Now, Emmer, as a sort of establishment guy-ish, was uh, he's part of leadership already. He was opposed by the hard right flank in Congress who had helped fire McCarthy in the first place. And he was also opposed by Donald Trump, who had supported previously Jim Jordan. But Donald Trump's support of Jordan apparently did not help Jordan enough to win over the conference. So Jordan had to drop out on Friday. Now, Emmer was the uh, was only uh, of um one of only two among the original nine candidates on Monday night that had actually voted in favor of certifying the 2020 presidential election in the House back on January 6th. All of the other ones were election deniers. So 
I guess we can say he is not an insane right winger, but as there's always a but as uh, Democratic election attorney Mark Elias pointed out today on Twitter, quote, don't forget Emmer supported Texas's lawsuit that sought to invalidate the 2020 election results in Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. He is a MAGA vote suppressor and election denier, charges Mark Elias. Now, I could go farther, uh, but uh, you and I might be happy to note that I don't have to, because as I was preparing this story today, just before airtime, NBC issued this breaking news headline, quote, Rep. Tom Emmer withdraws from the race for speaker (laughs) just hours after he was nominated by House Republicans. The Republican chaos caucus strikes again. Continues. Yes, it does. Uh, As The New York Times reported it, a backlash from the right, including Donald Trump, sank his candidacy. That included uh, a a post on uh, Truth Social, Donald Trump's social media site, that apparently got texted to all the uh, congressional members saying stuff like, I have many wonderful friends wanting to be Speaker of the House, and some are truly great warriors. Rhino Tom Emmer, who I do not know well, is not one of them. Uh, He never respected the power of a Trump endorsement or the (laughs) breadth and scope of MAGA. He is totally out of touch with Republican voters, said Trump. I believe he has now learned his lesson because he is saying he is pro-Trump all the way. But who can ever be sure? Has he only changed because that's what it takes to win? The Republican Party cannot take that chance because that's not where the American vote, the America first voters are. Voting for a globalist rhino like Tom Emmer would be a tragic mistake. And then Tom Emmer quit. Which means he determined he couldn't get enough votes to win on the House floor from his own conference, which means we're back to square one. Still no Speaker of the House, which means Congress remains all but shut down for the foreseeable future for what is now the fourth week in a row because the Republican Party is now just simply incapable of not not just governing, but even doing step one, the easy, the most basic part of governing in the House majority, selecting a Speaker of the House, which gives us time to return to uh, Donald Trump and his potential problems on the 2024 presidential ballot and that feeling that I have that he may not actually end up being the candidate at all by the time we get to next November. And it's a story that I'd hoped to get to yesterday, but I ran out of time. So because there's such a failure in the House, I have time for it now. (laughs) Uh, A judge on Friday rejected three more attempts by former President Donald Trump and the Colorado GOP to shut down a lawsuit seeking to block him from the 2024 presidential ballot in the state based on the 14th Amendment's insurrectionist disqualification clause. The flurry of rulings by the judge late Friday from uh, Colorado District Judge Sarah Wallace are, according to CNN's Marshall Cohn, a blow to Trump, who faces candidacy challenges in multiple states stemming from his role in the January 6, 2021 insurrection. He still has a pending motion to throw out the Colorado lawsuit, but the case now appears on track for an unprecedented trial this month. This month. 
The uh, post-Civil War provision of the 14th Amendment, Section 3, says clearly that U.S. officials who take an oath to uphold the Constitution are disqualified from future office if they, quote, engaged in insurrection or have, quote, given aid or comfort to insurrectionists. But the Constitution does not spell out exactly how to enforce that ban, which is what Trump and Republicans are hoping to prevent from happening at all. The judge is scheduled to preside over the trial beginning October 30. Happy Halloween (laughs) to uh, decide a series of novel legal questions about how the 14th Amendment could apply to Trump. It is one of several such challenges around the country right now, though it seems likely that this will be the first one to actually get to a trial. In the 24-page ruling on Friday, Judge Wallace rejected many of Trump's arguments that the case was procedurally flawed and should be shut down. She said the key question of whether Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold has the power to block Trump from the ballot based on the 14th Amendment, quote, is a pivotal issue and one best reserved for trial. She also swatted away, uh, frankly, ridiculous arguments from the Colorado GOP that state law gives the party, not election officials, ultimate say on which candidates appear on the ballot. The judge wrote, quote, if the party, without any oversight, can choose its preferred candidate, then it could theoretically nominate anyone regardless of their age, their citizenship, their residency, she wrote. All of which they cannot do because in the Constitution there's restrictions on those things. So, no, it is not up to the party to decide anyone they want. It's up to the secretary of state and the election officials to decide who has met the qualify the constitutional qualifications to be on the ballot. Which is a completely routine thing that election officials, secretaries of state do all the time. If you're not old enough to run for president, they're not going to let you run for president. This is something that's super routine. The judge writes such an interpretation is absurd. The Constitution and its requirements for eligibility are not suggestions (laughs) left to the political parties to determine at their sole discretion. The judge also cited a 2012 opinion from Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch, who you may recall was appointed to the Supreme Court by Donald Trump. This is an opinion of his from 2012, back when he was a Denver-based appeals judge. An opinion, by the way, that has come up in several of these uh, of these challenges, that opinion said that states have the power to, quote, exclude from the ballot candidates who are constitutionally prohibited from assuming office. Nice quote from Neil Gorsuch. Good to hear from him. <laughs> uh, she cited this while she was rejecting Trump's claim that Colorado's ballot access laws do not give state officials any authority to disqualify him based on federal constitutional considerations. Trump already lost an earlier bid to throw out the case on free speech grounds, again, going back to the idea that he can say whatever he wants, he can cause whatever insurrection he likes, and that somehow he's being penalized for that. Nope, not being penalized for what he said. In recent months, a growing and politically diverse array of legal scholars from 
Well, the far right to what suffices for the left, uh, I don't know that we have a far left, but uh, in those recent months, a whole bunch of those scholars have thrown their support behind the idea that Trump is disqualified under the insurrectionist ban. And that includes Federalist Society, far right Federalist Society uh, legal constitutional law experts who said, yeah, 14.3, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, does in fact ban him. The bipartisan House committee that investigated the January 6th attack, they recommended last year that Trump be barred from holding future office under under the uh, uh, 14th Amendment. The uh, 14th Amendment challenges in Colorado and other key states, notes Marshall Cohn at CNN, face many legal hurdles, however, before Trump will be disqualified from running for the presidency. Trump is sure to appeal any decision to strip him from the ballot, which means the Supreme Court and its right-wing Trump-appointed supermajority, hi, Neil Gorsuch, will almost certainly get the final say here as to whether the text of the Constitution itself is actually constitutional. Because that's what this is going to come down to. Is the Constitution constitutional? It says pretty clear, if you're a textualist, if you're an originalist, like the court's right-wingers claim to be, it says pretty clearly that uh, Donald Trump should not be allowed to run for president of the United States. But they are twisting themselves uh, into uh, pretzels to try to make the arguments against it. But as we said earlier, when, you know, the facts and the law are on your side, pound the facts and the law. When they're not on your side, pound the table. And that's what they're doing. And then they're going to turn over the table. <laughs> the, uh, the Colorado challengers recently revealed in a court filing that they want to depose Trump before the trial, which begins October 30. Trump opposes this request mm. for some odd reason. <laughs> The judge has yet to issue a ruling on that matter. So it uh, could be a fun month, fun uh, couple of weeks, I guess, as we head towards Halloween and a very scary Halloween for the disgraced former president. Quick break, and we are back with Desi Doyne and the Green News Report right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Boo! <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. My thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi Doyen and I stay on your public airwaves. You're the only one that keeps us here. Thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Uh, Now we get to the... uh, serious part of our show. You would think uh, a president, uh, you know, facing four different criminal trials, a civil trial, possibly being thrown off the ballot for an insurrection. You would think that would be the serious part. But no. But no. uh, Unfortunately, we have to get to it. Our latest Green News Report. As sea level rise makes more coastal properties chronically flooded, those coastal property values are projected to plummet. Rising sea levels threaten Florida property values and its economy. New study confirms hurricanes really are getting more intense due to global warming. Plus... It's shocking, in fact. Melting of the huge West Antarctic ice sheet may have already passed the point of no return. 
All of those great stories and more, including Super Fog, straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. And I know what you're thinking, oh, another depressing environment story. Yep, this is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, a uh, tragic story out of Louisiana, but a bizarre one, in fact. Super fog blamed in Louisiana for a highway crash that killed at least seven people? Yes, unfortunately, at least seven people were killed and 25 injured in a massive pileup of 158 vehicles outside of New Orleans on Monday due to a super fog. What the hell is a super fog? It sounds like a late 70s, early 80s soft rock band. <laughs> well, the National Weather Service says the foul smoke from coastal marsh peat fires combined with dense fog to create an unusually dense super fog. Well, what what are peat fires? Well, peat is basically rotting wet vegetation and it can self-ignite after long periods of hot temperatures, which Louisiana has been roasted by hot temperatures all summer and into fall. So it's likely this is going to be yet another uh, part of our climate crisis? Yes, and it's probably something that's not going to get better with more global warming. And it's definitely something I haven't heard of until today. So add it to the list. What else you got for us today, Des? Well, October 2023 is on track to be the hottest October ever recorded by a large margin since record-keeping began in the mid-1800s. That's according to a new analysis by the nonprofit firm Carbon Brief. That also means plentiful ocean heat energy to fuel storms. In the Pacific Ocean, Hurricane Norma joined the growing list of rapidly intensifying hurricanes, rocketing to a Category 4 storm before hitting Mexico's west coast over the weekend as a Category 1. Newly formed tropical storm Otis is also on track in the Pacific to become the fourth named storm to hit Mexico's west coast just this month alone. Wow, yeah, they got hit twice in two days just a week or so ago. A new study confirms that Atlantic hurricanes are getting stronger and faster due to warming of the oceans driven by man-made climate change. The analysis found that storms are now twice as likely to rapidly intensify within 24 hours into powerful and catastrophic major hurricanes of Category 3 or higher than they did 20 years ago. And that's something that we've also seen a lot of so far this year. Yep, and it matters because rapid intensification makes it harder to forecast a storm's track and gives vulnerable communities little time to prepare, especially for mass evacuations. The study also found there have been more Atlantic storms in the last few decades than in the 1970s and 1980s. I wonder why. In Antarctica, faster melting of the West Antarctic ice sheet is likely now unavoidable, a new study warns, suggesting that future sea level rise may be greater than previously projected. That's even if governments succeed in achieving their promised emissions cuts. The study projects the rate of ocean warming and Antarctica's ice melt are both likely to triple due to humanity's ongoing greenhouse gas emissions. However, the researchers said reaching 
emissions targets will help to stabilize the ice sheet from further melting after 2100. Good luck to us. In Florida, an ominous warning from a new Florida State University study on the impact of rising seas on Florida's economy. The study found that one million Florida properties are projected to see chronic flooding in coming decades. Property taxes from those specific properties account for a third of local operating revenue in towns across most of the state. Worse, local planners and managers aren't aware of the coming financial impacts of climate change. In an interview with NPR, co-author Professor William Butler said the study is a wake-up call for a looming budget crisis for towns and the state. We're not forecasting a future. What we're doing is letting people get ahead of that future, we hope, so that local governments can start to say, hey, wait a minute, we need to be preparing ourselves. So when this happens, this is going to slam the tax base, which is going to slam the state of Florida. And I guess Ron DeSantis is not going out of his way to let his own constituents know about it. Doesn't appear to be so. Well, that's what being a climate denier is all about. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been... Your Green News Report. Apparently not long at all at this point. (laughs) Well, the good news is the climate models were right, but the bad news is the The climate climate models models were right. right. Yeah, actually they were wrong in this case when it comes to Antarctica and the uh, West Antarctic ice sheet. I think I was too snarky there. (laughs) I think that's a really serious story that it could be actually three times higher than they predicted uh, by the end of the century, that we're yep. past the point of no return. Yep. Scary stuff. Well done, Desi Doyen. Thank you very much. And thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you kind enough to donate to our work to allow us to stay on your public airwaves at bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter. I am the Brad Blog. We will see you there at all of the above until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.